0: Thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church. We are starting a brand new five week series where we are learning to pray the Psalms, learning to find the biblical model and framework for how to bring our emotions, our thoughts, and our lives into the presence of God. And knowing that there is a 150 book model of people who have done this 2,500 to 3,000 years before our lives today, we have seen people wrestle through doubt, disappointment, fear, anxiety, and joy in the presence of God. If you grew up in a Jewish context, in the Old Testament or in the New, you would have grown up praying the Psalms, praying 150 of these Psalms, praying them every day. You would actually learn to pray through the Psalms. They would be your model and your guide for how to pray. When you ask, how do I pray? Your father or your mother would open up the scriptures or would remind you and quote to you psalms. Psalm 23, Psalm 119, Psalm 139, Psalm 22. They would guide you in how to pray in this manner. I grew up and as a teenager, I was taught to pray through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And I mean, it makes sense. I live in a post- Jesus context with his life, death, and resurrection, and I have the teachings of Jesus, but I also significantly was shaped by the Psalms, Psalm 23 specifically, which is something we teach to our teenagers, and it was taught to me as a model of how I see God and how I pray. That the Lord is a shepherd, and if I'm in his presence, I will never be lacking. To know that he cares about me, And he is my best guide towards a calm, fulfilling, fruitful life. And that as I pray to him, I won't avoid suffering, but that he will be with me through it. And finally, to know that in God's presence, I am always welcome. He is always welcoming me to his table. As we study the Psalms, these frameworks, these models, these patterns will help guide us in processing the emotions, the struggles, the trials, our chaotic lives that we've been talking about as a church into the presence of God. Tim Keller writes a great book on how to do this and has done many teachings on how to pray through the Psalms. You can pick up his book if you want to go deeper, and it's the prayers of Jesus. Eugene Peterson also has a phenomenal book that we have in display in our lobby, and you can pick that up as well called Answering God. But let's start today by talking about what do I do with all of these emotions? I have emotions. I have feelings. What do I do with all of these? You may have grown up in one of two frameworks, one of two traditions. First one is mostly the tradition I grew up in, where our emotions were something to suppress and to to push down, you know, stiff upper lip, move through. You feel that way? A lot of people feel that way. Move on and get your job done, get your life done moving. And so for me, I love my family and my tradition, but largely I was taught to kind of suppress and control my emotions to then move on with my life. You may have grown up in a different tradition where your emotions were something to embrace or you were taught it's impossible to control emotions. My wife's family is this way, where the first Thanksgiving I spent with them was so loud and was so emotional and had so many feelings flying around. But by the end, everybody's hugging each other and crying and talking about how they love each other. But oftentimes this can lead to destruction as well as we follow our emotions or we say things we shouldn't say and we destroy things out of our emotions that we then regret later. Neither of these frameworks is the biblical one, not to suppress our emotions, but also not to let them run wild. The Psalms teach us a third way, a third way of dealing with our emotions, where we give pride and place to our emotions. We don't stuff them, but we also don't let them overtake us. Instead, we pray through our emotions in the presence of God. We give priority and place to our emotions as we pray through them in the presence of God. A reflective and intentional processing of why I feel the way I feel. Where do these emotions come from? What do they say about me? What do they say about my view of the world? And I pray through this process and invite God to speak to me as I process my feelings. First Peter chapter five, verse seven, this is now New Testament, but Peter gives us this encouragement about bringing our emotions to God. He says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. As we study the Psalms, as we take our emotions and we bring them to God, let this overriding idea from the New Testament draw us into this process. Bring your cares and concerns, Bring your emotions and anxieties into the presence of God because he cares about us and can be trusted with the depth of who we are. The Psalms give us permission to bring out our emotions to God and they give us a biblical, historical example of what it looks like to reflectively bring our emotions to God that we may find peace. What I love about the Psalms is they show us a wide range of emotions. And you may come from traditions where your emotions are wild or where they're suppressed. But either way, out of the 150 Psalms, you can find models of people who have prayed and felt like you. Secondly, they give us space for our varied times of our lives. There are times where I am, you know, going for it and I'm feeling like I'm conquering. There are other times where I feel like everything is falling apart. And we can find a home in any of those seasons in the Psalms. For that reason, in this series, we are going to ground this teaching, since there are 150 psalms and we could do 150 weeks or three years through the psalms, we're going to look at five examples, we're going to look at five psalms that each typify a style of psalm. And while there's almost no consensus among scholars and teachers as to how to categorize the psalms, we're going to lean into one that we feel is helpful for this process. We're going to look at five Types of psalms and draw out one psalm in each type. Wisdom, psalms that teach us something, that guide us into God's righteousness. Lament psalms, psalms that are full of sorrow and regret. Imprecatory psalms, which is a very beautiful and fancy way of saying psalms where you're asking God to destroy people. Four, royal psalms or psalms that look to God as king, that celebrate his goodness and hopefully point us to Jesus. And fifth, thanksgiving psalms, psalms of giving God glory and thankfulness, praising him for what he's provided. Let's dive in. Today, we're going to be looking at a psalm of wisdom. Actually, we're going to be looking at the body of psalms, the first one. Psalm chapter 1, a psalm of wisdom. Let's read it together. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. But not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff, scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly. But the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Let's begin with the first few words of the first verse of the 150 chapter long book of Psalms. Oh, the joy of those who delight in the Lord. Let that be an encouragement to you when we're learning how to pray, that the goal of a prayer life is joy, the goal of a prayer like another word, is blessing. Another word equally valid in this translation is happiness. The goal of a life interacting with God, communing with God, spending time in His presence and speaking with Him is joy or happiness or blessing. That is the goal product of what a life of prayer is about. This is the theme of the book of Psalms, that blessing comes... Through those who spend time in the presence of God. It is okay in your prayer life to seek joy, to seek happiness, to seek blessing in your relationship with God. Those who tell you that your entire spiritual life should be misery and reflecting on your sin, they're missing a huge aspect of Scripture and the relationship with God that comes through joy and blessing. Jesus calls God a good and loving Father who loves to give good gifts. And then Jesus describes himself that he has come to give us life and give us life to the full in John 10.10. I'll say this very clearly. God does not want you to have a miserable life. And the Psalms are a record of those processing what you are processing. God, you want me to have a good life, but it's a real struggle right now. God, I know you want me to have a good life, but I'm very anxious or I'm full of regret or I'm really afraid of what's coming down the line or it doesn't look like that. God wants you to have a blessed life, but we have emotions and experiences and a fallen sin nature in ourselves and those around us that can often preclude that or obscure that. A prayer life and praying the Psalms is about clearing that clutter to see the joy of what a relationship with God looks like. Today, we're going to let Psalm 1 be a guide for us. But before we do, I want to clarify this blessing in two parts. Number one, joy comes from intimacy with God. I'm not talking about the joy that comes from cool stuff, cool cars, nice things, people loving you, saying nice things about you. The biblical pattern of joy comes from intimacy with our Creator and knowing the One who knows us most intimately and experiencing His love and value for our lives. And so joy, yes, is the focus of a prayer life, but that joy comes from intimacy with our Creator. Number two, that joy is a gift from the intimacy of God, not something we earn through a better prayer life or through living more holy. The joy comes in our prayer life by realizing the gift that God has already given us in Christ Jesus, by realizing what we have in Jesus Christ and who he is in our lives, and that he gives us joy freely by his life, his work on the cross, and his resurrection. And so yes, the journey is about blessing and joy, but not in the physical sense and not in the sense that we earn. It is about a prayer life that reveals a relationship with God that then shows us his love through Christ Jesus. And so, as we talk about wisdom psalms, and we see this modeled in Psalm 1, I want you to know wisdom psalms are instructive prayers where we learn how to trust God more than our own power and pleasure. They are often a way of praying that says to God, my understanding is flawed, skewed because of my sin, and the limits of my finite nature, and so I am going to pray and trust that you can reveal to me a wider picture, a better picture in your wisdom, God. Let's see this in Psalm one, let's continue. Psalm one, still in verse one, he says, "'O the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers.'" three big baddies, right? It's not about individual types, but it is about the totality of being in a fallen world and submitting to that wisdom. One biblical scholar writes that this verse is advice on those who let the world influence their thoughts, their actions, and their identity. Thoughts, actions, and identity. Let's look at each of these three. Because as we pray, we invite God to speak into or challenge or protect our mind, our actions, and our identity. Let's look first at our thought life, our mind. What dominates my thoughts? Where do I build my system of morality, good and bad? Philippians chapter 4, New Testament writer Paul encourages us with these words in Philippians 4, verse 8 Fix your thoughts on what is true, and honorable, and right, and pure and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. This is not an encouragement about who to take advice from, but about what you are allowing to build your worldview. We want a life with joy, and joy comes from an intimate relationship with God. So, where are we seeking advice on how to know that relationship? Are you seeking advice from others who have a joy-filled intimate relationship with God? Maybe this can be our test for which preachers we watch on YouTube or which theologians or authors we read. Are they ones who live their life with joy and seem to express an intimate, growing relationship with God? Maybe it's a guidepost in who we spend time with and who we seek advice from, who we are discipled by. Those people we recognize live a joy-filled life and have an intimate connection with their creator. Most clearly, as the psalmist tells us, fill your mind with scripture. Fill your mind with what God has already written, what his Holy Spirit has already inspired and guided. Meditate on scriptural passages. Meditate on your Bible. Come up with a reading plan. Find one on an app or in writing and walk through that daily. Practice your daily office or your time of quiet devotion and allow scripture to speak into your life. Make it a regular pattern that we seek God's word as our guide for our thoughts and our mind. I am not an anti-media guy. I love listening to music. I love watching shows and movies. But there is a balance that comes from acknowledging what is influencing and shaping our thought life how we view the world how we view other people and how we view ourselves and we can find ourselves quickly out of balance with that and this is what the psalmist writes is protect yourself from overly embracing the thought patterns of this world by intentionally filling yourself with the thought patterns of God namely through scripture through other people teaching on scripture and through other people in our lives that are also reading and studying God's word. Fix your thoughts on this. Number two, our actions, what am I doing with my life? Not just what do I think, but what am I doing? Standing around with sinners, I don't know about you, it gives me a picture of like a bunch of teenage guys standing outside of a 7-Eleven at 2 a.m., smoking a cigarette, standing around with sinners. But really, it is about What do your actions say about who you are? As Rachel Dawes once said to Bruce Wayne, in Batman Begins, it is not who you are underneath, but it's what you do that defines you. Your thought life will shape what you do, but what you do also will mold what you think. Where you are, who you're spending time with, what you're spending time around will shape how our mind works. How much YouTube you watch, what you read, who you spend time with, as well as our eating, sleeping, spending, working, these shape how our mind works intimately. In 1 Corinthians, Paul calls out a man who is sleeping with his stepmother. He says, your actions are unbecoming and are shaping you and are leading you into destruction. And then in the next chapter, he calls out church members who are suing one another. And he says, Your actions are telling the world about what you believe this world to be like. And your actions are saying, pleasure is the highest goal. And so if this makes my life feel good, then I'm going to sleep with my stepmother. Your actions say that you don't believe in forgiveness and grace, but you're out to protect yourself and fight for yourself. This is revealing your thought life by your actions. This is where practices like the prayer of daily examine can be so crucial and so fruitful in our lives. To slow down and in our prayer time, seek God's wisdom by examining our actions. Sitting down and for 15 minutes praying and walking through your day. If you've never practiced the prayer of the Daily Examine, you can Google it, look it up. It's a uh, 700-year-old prayer exercise that slows us down and invites the Holy Spirit to reveal our actions and what they're doing to contribute to our thought and heart and also what they're expressing about our mind and heart. Look back on your day and evaluate what you've done and what you've spent your time on and where your actions have been. People know you by what you do, not by what you think. And it shapes who you are, which leads to the third part of this. Thoughts, actions, and the third, identity. Who am I? Who's influencing who I believe myself to be? And how do I see myself in this world? Our thought life and our actions shape our identity And we see these three as the totality of who we are. I'm my thoughts, I'm my actions, and I am my identity of who I see myself to be. George Stroop, theologian working largely in the 80s, writes, personal identity is never a private reality. It has a communal element. It is shaped by the community in which the person is a participant. Which means... We see ourselves by the community that we are in and the values that that community holds. The psalmist knows this far before a theologian in the 1980s. And the Israelites know this far before the psalmist writes Psalm 1. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, they write this encouragement about our identity, about our values, about who we are. It says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, and when you are getting up. Ground yourself in the identity of who you are. Pray in this manner and ask God to root you in the identity of who He has made you to be. How do you see yourself? And how can a prayer life transform your identity. To sit in the seat of mockers is to find your identity as one who is critical. Critical of the world, critical of those who try, critical of those who believe. And that's honestly a really tantalizing and easy identity to take on in the modern world. There's so much to mock. There's so much to criticize. It's so easy to stand on the sidelines and criticize those who are trying, are earnest and are believing. Why does any of it matter? It's about power, pleasure, and then we're all going to die. Politicians lie, pastors cheat, Christians are hypocrites. It's an easy line and it's really popular on social media right now to criticize and tear down. But if we pray through the wisdom Psalms, if we pray this as a model in our lives, We can challenge ourselves to put on the identity of those who believe. Those who earnestly seek the betterment of this world. Those who see beauty and value in human life. That creation is made by and for beauty and to be treated with care because it all reflects the creative beauty of the God that we serve under. The God who made us and breathed life into us. Do you see life as vindictive and out to destroy and we must repay evil for evil and stand up for ourselves? Or can we see ourselves in an identity of those who lay down our lives for each other, an identity of ones who value grace and mercy over vengeance? Do we see ourselves as those who are agents of love rather than power, agents of generosity rather than frugality? How do we see our identity shaped? Praying the Wisdom Psalms shapes our identity. It shapes our mind, it shapes our actions, and it shapes our identity as we pray to seek God to re-instill who we are by his love and by the narrative story of Jesus Christ. So let's see, that's the negative of what to avoid. Now, we'll see the psalmist give us a brief framework of what that looks like when we do sit under God's wisdom. Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. He writes, But they delight in the law of the Lord. They meditate on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in every season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. This past summer, I was able to go on a vacation where I did a hike. Nobody on my vacation wanted to do it with me. So I did it by myself, which was fine. But I finished the hike and it was a several hour hike and it was pretty tiring. And I got to the bottom and because of where we were, there was no cell service. So I couldn't get my friends to pick me up. And so I finished this long hike. I had planned just enough water for the hike itself and I had just about run out. And so I had this calculation to make. I was like, do I just sit here and wait for them? Or can I pull up my phone and find somewhere where there's you know, a convenience store or something to get something to drink? And I thought I found one a mile away, only to then walk another mile and find it didn't exist. To then walk another mile to find that that place was closed. Eventually I ended up walking an additional five more miles with nothing to drink. And I'm walking through suburban neighborhoods and I'm fantasizing about like, Would I get in trouble if I snuck into this person's yard and grabbed their hose and filled my drinking, uh, my bladder with their water? This was, I was starting to get delusional and think about how I could do or fences I could jump over or thinking I was seeing a 7-Eleven around the corner or a beautiful Wawa oasis. This is what happens when we're dying of thirst. I wasn't dying, but I could feel the need to drink. I could feel the thirst in me. What the psalmist writes is those who root themselves in God's presence and wisdom are like people who are never thirsty. They never feel that longing. They are always filled and hydrated by the presence of the wisdom of God in their life. They are continually drinking from the streams of everlasting water, of everlasting life, and they are filled with God's wisdom eternally. In prayer, we make a commitment that our blessing comes through the slow process of faithfulness. He uses the metaphor of a tree because a prayer life is not a quick thing. It's not one magical prayer and everything's transformed. It is a life committed to spending time in God's presence and watching him transform us like a tree. Planting ourselves in God's promises. Planting ourselves in God's character. And then seeing a story that is over 2,000 years old that has guided sinners and saints for a hundred generations speaking into our lives. A prayer life through wisdom in the Psalms is a prayer life of quiet trust in the provision of God. I stay planted regardless of what season I'm in. It may be a season of much, it may be a season of little, but I will stay planted to the streams of water that will continually feed me And then in every season, I will be able to bear fruit. If I'm staying in God's word, if I'm staying continually in the narrative of Jesus Christ as told through scripture, if I'm reminding myself of God's good character, then I can go through winter and it's cold and it's rough. I can go through summer and it's abundant and filled with pleasure. And I'll be able to bear fruit in both seasons because my meaning and my value doesn't come from the external season. It comes from the eternal story of who God is and what he's doing in my life. Day and night, I fix my thoughts on God's goodness. I root my behavior in the character of God I see in Christ Jesus. I find my identity in the one who bears fruit in my life. And then I watch as my life produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are the indications of a life built on the Wisdom Psalms. A life of goodness, gentleness, kindness, and joy. A life producing God's character in our own lives. The Wisdom Psalms teach us to pray, not that we get what we want, but that we discover what God wants for us by staying connected to his presence. Let's finish out this psalm, we'll close here. Verses four through six, he gets pretty serious. But not the wicked, they are like worthless chaff, scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly. But the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Praying the wisdom psalms, teaches us that prayer and spiritual life, the Christian journey, is not about life hacks to make our life better or more pleasurable. It is about connecting into an eternal destiny of what God is moving and working in our life. It's realizing that there is a kingdom of God so much bigger and grander than we understand. The scale And the cost at the end of this psalm is not some have a better life and some have a worse life. It has eternal consequences through our faithfulness to God's call in our lives. And whether we root ourselves in his wisdom or whether we don't. In praying this way, our minds and our souls are expanded to realize that our understanding may be limited. My understanding of what God's doing may not be enough. I could be wrong. I may have to confess to another person. I have to repent for something I've done wrong. I may have to change my actions and patterns based on God's wisdom and character as I sit under his kingdom. Praying humbles us and sets us free. It humbles me that I may not know and understand everything. And as I pray through God's character, nature, and narrative, I learn I'm not the master of all of this. And then I also am set free that I'm not the master of all of this. That God is in control. And that the goodness of his plan is seen most perfectly in his son, Christ Jesus. How he loves, how he gives, how he's gracious and merciful, how he's full of joy and most of his experiences are around a dinner table with people he cares about. And that the number one metaphor he uses is of a wedding feast where in eternity he invites all of us who are faithful to him, to sit around in his joy and the blessing of his relationship with us. And so as we process our complicated emotions, as we process the chaotic life we live in, pray through Wisdom Psalms as one of these five ways we learn to pray in the book of Psalms. Pray through the Wisdom Psalms as a way of submitting our emotions and feelings into the greater understanding of God's righteousness and the story of his goodness. Bring your emotions and life into his story of wisdom and grace. I want to invite you to pray with me in this moment. If you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus or to have a relationship with God, I want to give you an opportunity right now to pray one simple prayer that invites God into your life, that uh, invites Jesus into a real relationship and as the psalmist says, a relationship with God brings joy, brings blessing, brings happiness as we know our Creator intimately and we see him most in Christ Jesus. If you'll pray with me. God, in this moment, I want to know you relationally. I want to know you as a Creator, as a God, as a friend. Jesus, I believe that you lived. I believe that you were God and man living as one, teaching and loving and caring and healing, and that you lived a perfect, loving life. And then you took my imperfection, my sin, my brokenness onto yourself on the cross. You died in my place instead of me. And on the third day, You rose from the grave, resurrected, full of glory and power. And that by trusting in you, I also can have eternal life through you, Jesus. And life to the full in this life here. You gave your life for me. Today, I commit my life to you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that for the first time, I encourage you to click one of the links around this video. We would love to take that journey with you, celebrate, and pray with you. Thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church.